back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Most of the episodes in this season have focused on theological and philosophical arguments. Today, however, we are going to look at our second argument from example. In the last episode, we touched on Paul's invocation of citizenship. In this episode, we're going to look at Jesus' paying of taxes and his declaration to render unto Caesar's, Caesar, what is Caesar's. Now, I am actually going to take a different approach than I've seen others take. Um, most Christians opposed to government try to explain wh- why Jesus couldn't have meant that we are to pay taxes, because that, that doesn't seem to fit in with this idea that government isn't good and that God doesn't like it. I mean, how, uh, how could Jesus have advocated paying taxes to Rome when we know that Rome was such a horrendous power, did terrible evil with the, the tax money in terms of conquering other people, the, the tortures and um, you know injustice, all that stuff, right? Terrible. For, furthermore, if, if the rulers of darkness are behind human governments, which we have argued here, uh, Jesus would basically be saying, give Satan what is Satan's, right? And I, I, I do think that there are some decent arguments out there to get around the New Testament passages uh, here that we're talking about as being in order to pay taxes, but uh, I don't find them super convincing. It's kind of like a toss-up. It's like, I, I can kind of see what you're saying, but at the same time, I think it's, it's a little bit of a stretch. You kind of have to do, do some work um, to believe it. Now, in the context of all of Scripture, when, when you uh, add that weight to it, okay, I can, I can see the argument, but um, it's just not completely satisfactory uh, for me. That being said, I do want to briefly explain how an argument against the pro-taxation interpretation works, um, even though I don't find it completely compelling. But after that, in the remainder of the episode, I do want to take a position which assumes that the payment of taxes is a legitimate action for Christians. Yet I still don't think that uh, governments are good and something that, that the Bible views as good. And that's not really a position that I've heard a lot of um, a lot of anti-government people um, put forward. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's out there, but I'm going to offer you kind of my two cents on how I'd handle it. So one of the main arguments trying to explain Jesus' declaration that we are to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's is basically that Jesus never actually declares what is Caesar's. In fact, when Jesus says that we're to give to God what is God's, he's ultimately leaving it up to his audience to determine what is Caesar's and what is God's. And that's kind of one of those conundrums, you know, where it's like, um, it's, it's like the John the Baptist conundrum, right? If, where the Pharisees were like, well, if we say that John the Baptist is just a man, the people are going to hate us. But if we say he's a prophet, then we're also in really hot water for, for how we're treating him. Uh, what do we do? We can't really answer it. And Jesus might be doing the same sort of thing here, where he's like, hey guys, just give to Caesars what Caesars, and God's what what's God's. And they can't really answer that, because it's like, well, all things are God's, right? Aren't they? Um, and so Jesus never really says that we're to pay taxes. He just kind of leaves us with this, this John the Baptist type conundrum. 
And you know, when you add to this the complexity of how Jesus viewed Roman currency, or the Jews viewed Roman currency with an idolatrous image on it, right? The the, the image of Caesar and the the uh, imagery and the the sayings on it, like it was idolatrous uh, in their minds to kind of use these coins. And then you ask, well, why did one of the Jews in Jesus's crowd have have this piece of idolatry on him? And you can see that we we quickly get into a passage that is steeped in far more complexity than just Jesus saying that, oh yeah, we should pay taxes, that's what the point of this passage is about. So, I mean, this rendering unto Caesar just is not at all a clear declaration that we are to pay taxes. To illuminate this passage, many turn to the place where Jesus pays a tax that he gets from the mouth of a fish. The problem with with that is that the tax with the fish appears to be an example of a temple tax and not a tax to Rome or to Caesar based based on the context of, uh, of that passage. And seeing Jesus essentially give a tithe tax, which is to God, seems quite a bit different than, than paying a tax to Caesar. Others will also try to kind of elaborate on the render into Caesar passage by saying, well, we, we get this reaffirmed in Romans 13. Because Paul argues that we should give men what men are due, right? Honor where honor is due, taxes where taxes is due, uh, taxes are due, etc. Right? However, like Jesus's render unto Caesar, Paul never actually tells us what rulers are due, though he does strongly imply that the Rome, uh, the Romans he is speaking to, do indeed pay taxes. Right? He says, you know, this is why you pay taxes to Caesar, but. If you look at the passage closely, Paul doesn't tell them that that's necessarily a good thing, and he doesn't tell them to keep doing it, though I I think that's kind of a stretch. I think it is implied. Nevertheless, things are muddied because right after he says, um, you know, give men what men are due, only like maybe two verses later, he says that we are to owe nobody anything except love. So... Give honor to whom honor is due. Give taxes to whom taxes are due. But you don't owe anybody. Don't owe anybody anything. I don't know. It's kind of kind of a, a strange strange um, pairing there. So what is it? Do do we owe taxes and honor to authorities, or just love, or does love to authorities always look like honor and paying taxes, or is that a sometimes thing or a never thing? And there just isn't a place where Paul explicitly tells us to pay taxes. Rather, we see observations like, hey, you guys are paying taxes, and ambiguous statements like, give authorities what they're due, without actually telling anybody what anybody is due. So the whole paying taxes thing is is not as cut and dry as it's made out to be, though it does seem to me that it's easier to read these passages as showing Christians that pay taxes are, you know, that's an acceptable action. Um, and maybe even expected. I think that's a more natural reading, but I do understand the pushback against it. Okay, like I said, I, I'm i going to go with this idea that accepting taxation as something that Christians should do is is kind of kind of my stance, right? But if I'm against government, how do I avoid the notion then that government is a good from God? If God is saying, hey, you should pay taxes to him, um, how do I avoid the idea that God then thinks governments are good? Because if the government wasn't a good, 
Certainly God wouldn't want us to be complicit with the evil that they do, right? And funding it to do evil things seems like complicity. Well, that's going to be a hard argument to make because Christians are told to submit to governments, even to bad ones, wives to bad husbands, and slaves to masters. So God obviously doesn't like the institution of slavery. He doesn't like bad spouses, um, yet some of those groups, slaves, right, they were supposed to submit to their masters, yet I don't think God likes the institution of slavery. So it does seem that there is some sort of moral conflict here, right? It seems like there's, there's a problem, there's something going on. And we've also seen over and over again how God often wielded horrendously wicked nations like Assyria and Babylon, or how God used wicked actions like Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, or wicked leaders crucifying Jesus. We see God working in spite of wickedness and evil intent, and even bringing good through wicked things, even though God isn't the one doing those wicked things. So his expectation for us to act like Christ in love is is not complicity, and we have to kind of work through that, which is what we're going to do here. Because I know I can't just say that, right, that, that, well, it's not complicity, and then expect you to just take that at face value, especially when I have a whole season on consequentialism and arguing that you have to always do the right thing. So I want to spend the rest of our time explaining how I would distill morality in this situation to kind of explain what I think is going on. After teaching a few years of chemistry class, it struck me that Chemistry, I think, can provide a helpful framework for understanding morality. When you look at chemical equations and chemical reactions, you'll see that substances can undergo a variety of different changes. Um, Hydrogen and oxygen are separate substances, but when they chemically join together, they become one substance. They might become water, H2O. They might become hydrogen peroxide, HO. Um, likewise, you can take H2O and actually cause it to chemically split, kind of doing the reverse thing, giving you separate substances. So whether you have, you know, composition or or decomposition or synthesis reactions, you just, you have different sorts of of reactions with these uh, chemical bondings and equations. And there there are a variety of reactions out there beyond the synthesis and uh, decomposition. And if you want to kind of dig into this deeper, I, I do have an article I'll link in the show notes that, that I wrote um, on moral chemistry, which I, I think will go into this a little bit more if you're having a difficult time um, as we talk. But um, you know, I, I do want to warn you that what I'm talking about here is an extremely nascent idea, and I'm by no means saying that I have the arguments down pat and examples perfect at the moment. But I think this, uh, this idea of chemistry is going to kind of help us understand some things when we get to morality here. And I do understand that there is a a danger in maybe trying to make morality too black and white and too formulaic. Um, But at the same time, I think there's also a problem if we believe that morality is objective, yet find that most of our life ends up being gray. Gray can oftentimes be an excuse to be able to define our own morality. Well, we just can't know, so therefore I do what I want, right? Um, So again... I understand that there are issues with this approach, but 
just kind of go with me here and see where I'm, see where I'm going. Okay, so keep this chemistry thing in the in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to it. It's going to be important. To start us off, let's think about what to many is a moral conundrum. If a certain hardware store I go to supports abortion and or other immoral causes, is it wrong for me to buy a hammer from them? Now, if you think it's wrong for me to donate to an abortion provider to do abortions, then why wouldn't it be wrong for me to give money to Home Depot or some other hardware store who then funds abortions? Regardless of my intent and regardless of my wish that a company wouldn't fund abortions, the fact is that this particular company that that I'm going to go to, let's say that it does. So is it wrong for me to buy a hammer at this hardware store? Now, I would argue that it's not immoral to buy the hammer from the hardware store. And to, to kind of show you this, it's actually easier if we work in reverse. So I'm going to flip the example around. Um, if instead of placing yourself in the shoes of a buyer at the hardware store, you now become the employer at a store, would it be wrong for you to give your employee a paycheck for a job that they did, even if you knew that they were going to take that money like they told you? I'm going to take this money, I'm going to use the money for my paycheck to go binge drinking this weekend, go to strip clubs, and hire some prostitutes. Would you be wrong to give your employee the money? And the answer is no. You as the employer are not wrong for giving the worker their money. And why is that? Because you're giving them money for a job done. They're owed that money and the exchange is for their labor. How they use that money that you give to them is completely up to them because they earned it for something distinct, something separate from, from their desires. Now let's come back to the hardware store. So when you shop at a store, you are there to pay them for their labor, for a product, right? As well as the you know stocking and cashiers and all that stuff. But you're, you're paying them for labor, which is, yeah, paying them for their labor. So when you exchange money, you're, you're buying a product, and the product that you're buying, if you're buying a hammer, let's say, that product is not abortion. And that's why donating to an abortion clinic is different. Because the product that you're buying when you support an abortion clinic is more abortion access, whether that's for you or you're donating it so that other people can have that. And it's also why knowingly purchasing items that are stolen or made from slave labor is morally problematic. If we are paying for an item which is invested with the labor that's, that's exploited, then we are buying stolen goods and participating in exploitation. And that's, that, that's where the moral chemistry comes in, right? It's like the hydrogen and oxygen chemically combining. Uh, and we see that with the product of, let's say, the hammer that's created by slave labor. The exploitation is bound up in that property. If you take a Lockean view of, of property and, and all that stuff. But I don't even think you'd need to take that view. I just think, quite obviously, if slaves made the hammer, and you know it, and you buy the hammer... Well, that labor, that exploitation is bound up in the hammer, right? It's infused into the product. It's chemically combined. It's not separate. It's a part of what you are buying. So this, this here is just one example of 
how moral chemistry can kind of help to clarify and nuance distinctions, which, again, if you take a look at the article, again, it's it's nascent, but it's um, you'll you'll get more visuals and a few more explanations and you can kind of hash it out in your own mind. But I think that concept of, of chemical bonding and, and things being infused into products versus things being distinct from them is going to be helpful to to delineate why I can buy a product from a company that might support abortion and may not be liable for it. But why, while I can also buy a product from that same company that's, that's infused with slave labor and be immoral for it, and why I can also donate to the company, uh, to the uh, abortion clinic that the company I buy the hammer from supports, and then I'd be wrong for that, right? Um, so it seems like if you just kind of look at it from a uh, bird's eye view, it seems like they're all the same action, but they're they're very different actions, I think. All right, so that's that's a very roundabout way to get to this idea of taxation. So what about taxation? How does that fit into moral chemistry? Let's say a thief comes to take money and that, you know, he, maybe he's going to use it for drugs. You know he's going to use it for drugs or something illicit. Do you refuse to give the thief money because he's going to use it immorally? And I think the answer is no, right? He's already being immoral by thieving and coercively taking money from you by force. And and all that evil is on him. Now, taxation is essentially the same thing. The government has a gun to your head through tax legislation. And, and I've already spent a lot of episodes talking about legislation as uh, coercion. Um, so the government is literally stealing your money. They have a gun to your head. You are not beneficently giving your money to them. Unless, of course, you support government outside of, of forced taxation and donate to like a particular party or something. The hard part about this for me is that I think we would recognize that there are some things which we wouldn't allow to be stolen. We wouldn't allow one of our children to be stolen, right? We wouldn't say, oh, well, the government's telling me I have to give up my kid, so here you go, government. Um, we wouldn't exchange our kids for our lives and for our well-being. We wouldn't hand over a uh, a renunciation of our faith, but we'd rather die than hand that to the, the persecutors or the governments. So why would we hand over money that we know the government is going to use for evil purposes? Like, why, why would it be wrong for me to hand over a renunciation of my faith, but it's not wrong for me to hand over my money? Especially if I... I know that some of that a portion of that money is going to go to, let's say, kill children in Yemen. I think the answer might be a little bit similar to what we see in our hardware store example. When I hand over my money to the state, it is to buy a particular product. It's to buy my life and my freedom, a life and freedom that I'm going to use to preach the gospel. I'm not buying bombs, though the government may use the money that I give them to buy bombs. As we saw Augustine say in, in the lying episode, quote, Commit not thou a great crime thine own, while thou dreadest a greater crime of other men. For be the difference as great as thou wilt between thine own and that of others, this will be thine own. End quote. 
Augustine is just saying, hey, look, uh, you can't sin to stop other people from sinning. Everybody's sin is, is their own. And so when I hand the government money to ransom my life from them um, because of the legislation and the gun that they have pointed at my head, I'm ransoming my life. What the government does with that money is on them. I don't want them to use my money illicitly, but they will. I mean, similar things like um, there, there are debates between if there are hostages, do you ransom the hostages? Um, and because if you, if you ransom the hostages, the biggest concern is that that encourages people to continue taking hostages and you'll just um, feed that, that market. But I don't know that anybody would say, well, don't give those hostages money because they might go buy drugs with it or they might go, you know, do whatever they're going to do with that, with that money. Um, maybe if you, you're talking about ISIS and things like that, people would be concerned with them being able to buy weapons with it. But by and large, people understand that um, ransoming somebody's life and giving people money, while it might be not very pragmatic, you don't want ISIS to have more money to buy more guns, we wouldn't call that immoral because to ransom a life is a, is a good thing. So I can ransom my life from Caesar, and I'm not guilty for Caesar's crime of using that money to buy bombs and kill people with. Um, but what I can't do is I can't commit sin in order to appease Caesar to spare my life. I can't hand over the life of another or destroy my faith through renunciation because both of those, right, a life and my faith in God, both of those things are God's. Now, I do still have some issues with this answer as I can, I can think of certain scenarios which would push back against some of my analogies or maybe provide problematic counter-analogies. Nevertheless, I, this is kind of a, a working start. You can kind of think of moral chemistry, the hardware store example, think about the product you're buying, what's kind of infused in that product, um, uh, and then you can also think about the thief example. I think we could argue fairly convincingly that um, by paying taxes, I am not participating in the government's sin. Um, But that's just kind of where I'm at at the moment. There are lots of other things out there. I'll try to link some resources with different perspectives. Most of those perspectives trying to argue why we're not really supposed to pay taxes. But again, I, I think that's, that's a harder position to take. Um, nevertheless, it might be the right one. So my hope is that this episode is a start to looking at some of the nuances of morality and decision-making, and hopefully a new angle from which to look at the taxation problem for those who think that complicity with government is a problem. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it. This podcast is a part of the Kingdom Outpost Network. Please check out the links below to find other great podcasts and content related to nonviolence and kingdom living.